podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Okay, and action. Hello and welcome to episode 185 of the Inside Try Show. I'm Helen Murray and each week on the Inside Try Show I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. This week's guest is British triathlete and Olympic hopeful Sophie Coldwell. Last time you heard Sophie on the podcast she was actually on with her then boyfriend, now husband, Tom Evans. He's an amazing, amazing ultra runner. That is episode 64, by the way. So if you haven't heard it, do go and listen to that one. It was good value. Also coming up on the podcast this week, you're going to be hearing how my test weekend, let's call it that, went ahead of the Pan-Celtic race. Um, If you want to follow and track us, by the way, if you are listening to this in time, you can dot watch, okay, the the tracker will be live when we start. So I've put a link in the show notes. So go and find that tracker and you can then dot watch us. We start on July the 2nd. Just before we kick things off, I want to say thank you. If you are a patron of this podcast or if you ever have been a patron of the podcast, you've enabled me to keep on doing it. And I am so, so grateful. So if you do enjoy it, you want to support the show, you can. It's patreon.com forward slash Inside Try Show. But I want to start properly, properly this week with an update from one of the Fab Five. You will know I'm very passionate actually about all things triathlon, all things encouraging women to get involved and to take part and just having adventures, getting out your comfort zone, all that stuff. And I am really, really excited about taking a team of five women to the Rock Triathlon in North Wales in September of 2023. You have met them all on the podcast. You have had training updates from them. And one of the Fab Five, Meg, wanted to share her latest update with you too. I am coming on to tell you two pieces of news. Um, So we'll start at the beginning of news piece number one. Um, And that is that I have just completed uh, the Staffordshire Ironman 70.3 race, which I am thrilled to bits to have achieved. I finished in the grand time of eight hours and two minutes. It's it's been a long day. Um, Yeah, eight hours and two minutes. um, And my goodness, I've never known fatigue like it, honestly, but what a day, the sense of occasion. Um, I've never done a 70.3 before. This was very much on the run up to being, you know, getting fit and well enough to do the, the rock triathlon in September. Um, I went up with uh, if I've got that right, Snowden, um, about a month ago. and I've been doing all sorts of training, running, triathlon and hiking um, to try and get that in. And the 70.3 is, is, is part of that build for me. So really thrilled to have got that done. Had a beautiful swim um, at Chase Water. Absolutely serene conditions. Glorious sunrise. Um, and to be fair to Ironman, they do know how to put on a, a big old event, right? You know, the sense of occasion is enormous with the music and everything. But just being there with all the competitors, some people who are, you know, at the pointy end, some people who just want to get round, 
some people serious and game face on, other people just having a good old laugh and, and enjoying every minute. It's just wonderful. I mean, that is what we all love about triathlon, right? Um, really pleased with my swim um, and similarly had a lovely, lovely time on the bike. Was very, very careful not to stomp too much down on those pedals so that I could use my legs for that run. Um, so I came off the bike after four hours feeling, I won't say fresh, uh, it was pretty hard rolling countryside, but I certainly hadn't exhausted myself. So I felt pretty confident going into the run. Um, I will say the run honestly was much, much harder than I expected. I had run a half marathon before um, and I have also done up to 11 and a bit miles in training. Um, so, you know, it's it's a long way and it's hard, but I don't think, and despite a couple of bricks in my, my build-up, yeah, I did underestimate just how tired I was going to feel on that run. And within about a mile, I thought, oh my goodness. Um, and by about 5k in, the enormity of it really hit me. And I, to say I had to dig deep was an understatement. Um, honestly, it was so brutally hot. Um, we've had this heat wave that's going on uh, so far this early summer in the UK. And um, although it's been very pleasant to sit outside the pub when you're doing a long, long event and the sun's, you know, scorching down, it can be quite challenging. So keeping on top of my hydration was really difficult. Um, the support was amazing, however, um, and that definitely helped me. I also, when I was in the, the sort of worst of the despair, I played it through in my brain, right, okay, well, quit then. What would What's going to happen if I quit? And I sort of watched a mental movie of myself quitting, turning around, walking back, explaining to people, going to the race referee, I've pulled out, I've, it's a DNF, and then coming on and telling everybody, sorry, no, I couldn't do it. And people saying, oh, no, why? What happened? And the answer to that question would have been because it was too hard. And I thought, come on now. I mean, it is ours. <laughs> it was ours. But I couldn't bear to have that as my story that day. So at that point, I just thought, oh, my goodness, I'm now stuck. I've just got to finish this thing. So I just sort of did. Um, I'm not saying it was it was fun. It, it was a very challenging run, but coming over that finish line and the relief of it was just amazing. Um, and, you know, I can't thank the, the rock team enough for the support that I've had along the way, Helen, um, and the team have been so amazing throughout the training that I've been doing, uh, getting me ready. So, and, and they've been very kind in congratulating me as well. So I never thought I'd be doing a 70.3, but there you go. <laughs> So that's news story number one. News story number two um, is a slight change of tone. All right. So I have got a, quite an important update for you. Um, the headline is that I'm in the middle of a cancer scare at the moment. And in the last few weeks, I've been to and fro into hospital for various tests and scans and whatnot. Um, I will say to you that basically I have uh, endometriosis and I've had a couple of uh, problems with ovarian cysts over the last few years. I'm 51 now. And so, you know, it's not unusual for somebody at this sort of time in life to have a few problems. Um, but unfortunately, my problems have got a little bit bigger more recently. And there is a little bit of concern um, about that area. So my doctors have advised me that what I need to do is have a, a full hysterectomy. 
And so that is the next thing on my agenda, unfortunately. Um, I say unfortunately, listen, you know, they're doing what they can. There's some, uh, they don't quite know what's going on at the moment. And I won't find out actually um, until all the tests have been run, which is after the surgery, which I didn't know about. Um, but yeah, the doctors are looking after me really well and the Macmillan nurses have been incredible. Um, I'm feeling fit and well, as you can tell. Um, I'm not saying I don't have some symptoms. I do. But I think us women are, are very used to managing <laughs> symptoms of, you know, oh, I've got a bit of aches and pains going on in the lower abdomen. And, and it's just very, very, you know, one of those things that we're used to, isn't it? Um, and it's only, um, you know, with, with a full investigation when things started to get a little bit strange that, um, that obviously I found out it's a bit more serious than we thought. So, yeah, now obviously that sadly brings me to have to tell you that I will not be in a position to uh, do the rock uh, triathlon in September. Um, and I'm a bit devastated to say the least. Uh, as I say, the journey with Helen and the team has been amazing and it still is. And they won't let me um, not be part of the group. They've already said that I've got to keep in touch. Um, and uh, and obviously I'll be supporting them on, on their journeys. And so, so those relationships will continue. Um, and obviously I'm going to keep listening to the show. But um, yeah, sadly, this time around at least, um, I won't be doing that event. Um, I believe that um, Helen is uh, going to have a, a see if we can get somebody else to, to benefit from the place. And that would be amazing to bring another new member of the team if that's going to be possible. So fingers across for that. Meanwhile, uh, my surgery date looks like sometime towards the end of June. So depending on when this goes out, I may already have had some surgery or not. I'm not quite sure, but um, we shall see. So I have a path of slightly unknown in front of me at the moment. Um, but one thing I do know is that I'm going in fit and well. And I've had the been very lucky to have got this really uh, big triathlon under my belt Um you know, before I've had to then rest up and recover from the surgery, which is, um, you know, obviously quite a big uh, surgery. So I, I will be resting up for quite a, a number of weeks and it's going to take me several months to build back up to strength. Probably not going to be until next year in reality that I do any any other event again. Uh, but who knows? Who knows? We shouldn't. I'm not going to look too far ahead. I'm just taking the next step as it comes. So so thank you to everyone for your support and I hope you're enjoying the journey and please do keep cheering on um, the rest of the team because um, these women are all amazing. They're all working really hard to be fit and well and ready to get up that <laughs> rock triathlon um, in September and keep you all entertained and hopefully as well informed um, with tips along the way. So thanks everyone. Speak soon. Meg, we are sending you all the very, very best. You are in our thoughts and we absolutely think the world of you. Time for this week's interview. Sophie Coldwell is having her best season to date in the World Triathlon Championship Series with her eyes firmly set on qualifying for her first Olympics. She won her first WTCS race in Yokohama. She finished second in Abu Dhabi. The 28-year-old has come a very long way since doing her first triathlon two decades ago when she was eight years old. Sophie Coldwell, welcome back to the Inside Try Show. Sophie, it's lovely to see your face again. Hello and hello again. <laughs> back again. Uh, yeah, no, it's nice to 
see you again via the good old Zoom. But yeah, no, thanks for having me back. Absolute pleasure. Sophie, I feel like a lot has happened, actually. I, I looked I looked back because I thought I spoke to you last year. It's not. We spoke over two years ago. That is definitely longer than I thought as well. A lot has happened in two years. <laughs> right. When we when we spoke, um again, you didn't even have a you didn't have a wetsuit sponsor when we spoke. I still don't have one now, so nothing's changed. <laughs> still don't have one? But do you want one? Uh... I mean, I'd love one. I mean, I brought my wetsuit for racing Yokohama with three weeks before I left. So, uh, yeah, I'd love a wetsuit sponsor. <laughs> okay. But you but with the bikes, the bikes fine. Your ASICs as well now running. Yeah, can't complain. Yeah. So, yeah, got got my specialised, got my ASICs. So, yeah, very happy with them. Okay. So, we just need to work on that wetsuit sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> How would you sum up the last, like, two years or so? Ooh, uh Yeah, probably more... I've definitely achieved more than I thought I was going to achieve in the last two years. Um, I think this year has definitely topped that in terms of, yeah, obviously Abu Dhabi and Yokohama for me this year were two massive step forwards in my performances and hopefully they're coming at about the right time for a little selection that's uh, coming up. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely been at times a challenge in two years and there's definitely not all just been ups in that two years but on the whole I've definitely come out of it with yeah more than I more than I went in so uh yeah that's that's been a bonus I think it is mental that you have been doing triathlon for 20, for 20 years, years. <laughs> <laughs> I know people look at me as if I've got like two heads when I say that and I'm like admittedly when you're you know eight nine ten years of age it's not it's not like it is now, do you know what I mean? It, it's not a job. It's not It's not something that you dedicate 30 hours a week to. You know, it's maybe you go down to the tri club once, twice a week and, you know, you're pretty much racing every weekend when you're that age. But I have been doing triathlons now for 20 years and, yeah, it's quite a long time. I think I'm right in saying, right, in your first triathlon, just to make other people feel better on this one, so if you're not saying in 20 years, you know, they're going to be one of the best <laughs> in the world. But... um. You you couldn't do the whole length front crawl, could you? No, I it was fifty meters front crawl, and at that time, all all the children's events were in the pool. You know, none of them. I didn't start sports swimming until I was twelve years eight, twelve years of age. So yeah, when I was younger, they were all all pool based. But yeah, I couldn't do fifty meters front crawl, so I did one length front crawl, one length backstroke. Um, and then as I got older, and the swim distance went from a hundred meters to two hundred meters. Uh, I think that's from TriStar one to TriStar two. I couldn't, I could then by that point swim 200 meter front crawl, but I couldn't tumble turn. So that was the sole reason why I joined a Leander Swim Club was to learn to tumble turn because the swim distance went from 100 to 200 meters. So yeah, we've come a long way since that. Happy to say I can now swim 200 meters with tumble turns. So uh, yeah, we've uh, we've come on in the last 20 years. You're, you are an incredible example, actually, of someone who has just kept working and working and working and working I yeah I think if you were to kind of you know draw a timeline from someone who's eight years old and you kind of plot not necessarily things that you know you've gone and won these medals because I have not won I've not won you know junior titles European junior titles I've not won things like that but if you were to kind of plot a timeline and be like from an eight-year-old to you know, my my biggest achievement so far has been winning in Yokohama if you kind of was to you know plot along that 
what would you do? And you kind of go, you know, your children events, your IRCs, your regional academies, your Olympic talent squad, which is now the England talent squad, junior European cups, youth relays, you know, junior European champs, world champs, under 23 champs, senior European cups, world cups, world series, and kind of plotted it on a graph. I have literally done every stage. And, you know, when I say that, people think, oh, so, you know, you've always been like, you know, good and stuff. I'm like, I've always been, a, you know, good and, and made teams, but I haven't been an athlete when you look back who has won, you know, world titles as a junior and under 23, you know, like I have got a medal at under 23 worlds. And it was like my last year and I snuck on and got a bronze medal, but I haven't been one of these athletes that has been winning everything from such a young age. And part of that I think is I'm not exceptional at one thing, you know, like, I'm not an exceptional runner that if the race was to have gone my way when I was younger, I definitely would have won. I'm an athlete where I'm good at all three and yeah. Okay. My run has let me down in the past, but it's taken a long time to get all three to a level that means that you can actually do something with it. So I think, yeah, it's just taken a long time <laughs> to, uh, to kind of get to where I am now and yeah, tr- kept chugging away. And what is it Sophie that, you know, even five years ago, makes you want to just keep on chugging away there's definitely been times where I haven't wanted to do that and I think I found it really difficult to step up to racing world series because you kind of all through my like junior and under 23 career and even racing senior European cups I was always kind of you know maybe getting on a podium to kind of top 10s top 15s you're kind of I was kind of always in that bracket and then as soon as you start racing world series I was finishing like 35th 40th and I was like this is really hard like this is the step from world cups to world series racing was unbelievably big <laughs> um when you're kind of like 19 20 21 years of age so a couple of years ago I remember having a conversation with Adam and I was like I'm not racing World Series anymore. Like, what is the point of doing these races and finishing between 20th and 40th? Like, I just, it was so demoralizing. I just hated it. Um, And he was a bit like, because you need to go through this. We need to learn stuff. This is how you're going to learn. And ultimately, this is what you want to do, isn't it? And I was like, well, yeah, it is. But I'm just not really enjoying it now. Um, But I think, like, even then, like, the people around you or around me was a supportive network. And I think from that, it was like, you need to go through the crappy hard times and learn and experience it because ultimately at some point you're going to draw on that and you're going to need that when you can, when you have the ability to do better. So I've definitely not always been this athlete that's like, yeah, I just want to do it and love it. And it's going to be amazing. I'm going to do it every single day and it's going to be great. Like there's definitely been times where I'm like, this is really shitty. Like I either can't be bothered or I really don't enjoy racing at the moment. I've been through those points, but like ultimately the, the dream of making Olympic Games has always been there. And I think when you've kind of set something where you're like, I really want to do that, like ultimately that overrides a lot of decisions and the shitty days. And that's kind of ultimately what what I really want to try and do. And again, it's kind of crazy that if you had been in, born in another country, I think we touched <laughs> on this last time, that you probably would have already done like two Olympics. Yeah, and like it has its pros and cons being British, I suppose, you know, like on one hand, you're like, yeah, had I been from a different country, that's obviously not as strong as us, especially on the women's side, like you probably would have gone to Rio as a young, you know, 18, 19 year old, and you would have experienced that. You would have gone to Tokyo, 
you probably already got your foot on the ticket for for Paris and you're probably guaranteed for LA as well if you wanted to carry on. So I think from one hand, like it is difficult thinking like I've missed out on opportunities to be at, you know, be an Olympics and be an Olympian, which is, you know, what I really want to be able to say I've done and achieved. But on the flip side, like, would I be as good as I am without British triathlon? And the answer is probably no, because, you know, the level of support we have from, you know, a financial funding point of view as an individual that we get from UK lottery funding, coaching facilities, support staff, like the whole infrastructure of British triathlon has enabled me to kind of do what I have been able to do so far. So yes, it would have been great to have been from a country where you've, would have stamped and signed the I'm an Olympic Olympic athlete multiple times but I honestly don't know if I'd have been in that position to do it if I wasn't from British triathlon so it's probably catch 22. Does it feel like it's kind of now there in touching distance oh. the whole Olympics? It feels like it's so close but it's just not quite close enough you know it's like uh, you know I've sat here with two World Series podiums of which have won one and you're like I'm starting to tick off a few of these discretionary points on the policy and I'm I know I'm one of the top girls in GB and it's just there but it's not it's, do you know what I mean it's just like not it's not quite there yet and I think that's like makes me excited but also super nervous for this year like I'm excited that I think there is a real possibility I could get to the end of the year and be selected for the games and I'm excited for that and I'm excited to you know be on Olympic start line I really want to achieve that and then I'm also super nervous because I think holy shit it's so close like it's yeah it takes a couple of things not to go my way or an illness and injury and it's like it was it was close that it could have it could have happened so yeah it's like mixed emotions about trying to qualify and stuff but ultimately like I can only do what I can do. And if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. So I just have to remember that. And yeah, if it is good enough, then fantastic. I'll take that massive box that I have. And if it's not, then see where we are at the end of it. How good, how good was it standing on top of that podium in Yokohama? <laughs> do you know what? Even now I kind of probably haven't let it sunk in enough. I think, for ages I'd you know worked really hard of like how do we get from this position of being 30th to 40th in a world series to kind of being in and around top 20 how do we go from top 20 to top 10 how do we go from top 10 to you know top eight how do we go from that to trying to convert that into a podium like and I'd spent so long trying to actually get my ass on a world series podium that <laughs> I haven't got bored of getting on world series podiums yet do you know what I mean like I got to the point where I was like I'm really bored with finishing top 10s now like I, I know I'm good enough to get on a podium and I just, it hasn't happened. And I think it was such part, like such a relief when I finally got on World Series podium in Leeds like two years ago that I was like, oh, I've finally done it. Like I finally got on this podium and I feel like it was just such a massive weight off my shoulders. I was like, you've done it. And because I haven't had that many podiums since that point, like for me getting on a podium is and still will be a big deal so I think when I then found myself in the position of like you're going to win one I just hadn't really like visualized it or I hadn't like thought about like how do we actually now turn a podium into winning one like that hadn't happened 
So like when I found myself crossing the line, it was just like, I can't believe this has happened. Like this wasn't meant to happen. This wasn't the plan. This wasn't, I hadn't gone into this race thinking, right, we're going to try and win this. Like I kind of go into races now thinking, how do we get on the podium? Let's really try and get on the podium. And winning one was just so different. Like the feeling of like, holy shit, like I take the blue tape. Like I hardly ever take the blue tape in any races now. So it was just surreal. And I'd probably not till the end of the season where I'll reflect and be like, that was, that was a special day. Do you do, um, do you do a lot of visualization, even if you didn't do the visualization, visualization of you actually taking the blue tape? Yeah, for me, that's my main thing before a race. Um, I use it for like running through the race so I know where I'm going or entrance exits, um, mount lines, dismount lines, laps. Where am I going to take my gel? Where am I going to do this? Whatever. So like before the race even start, I'll like run through it a few times in my head. So I'll use it quite a lot for that. Um, And it's I've kind of like struggled a bit with it, with the relay stuff because it's different order for us. And, you know, before I would always do first leg if I was ever in a relay. And again, it's super easy to visualize you know, exactly what's going to happen. You crack on, it's basically like a mini triathlon. Whereas I've really struggled with the visualization stuff in a relay because you don't know where it's going to be. You don't know, you know, obviously it's great. Alex out, Commonwealth Games, Alex out, hands it over. You've got 30 second lead, whatever it was. You're like, this is fantastic. But it's not always going to be like that. Hope it is. And I hope, I hope you boy gives me 30 second lead every time. That'd be great. But, it's, you know, it's not always going to be like that. So I have struggled with the visualisation of a relay and because you just can't, it's not as clear cut. Um, but we just kind of like bring that back to just processes and the processes are the same whether we're 30 seconds up the road or, you know, chasing back on. So, yeah, I do use do use visualisation a bit, but I definitely didn't visualise uh, winning Yokohama. And what, right. And had you had you visualised winning other races previously? uh not really like you know I can't I don't really win that many races now um I kind of visualize how I'd like the race to go so obviously for me a breakaway is a big part of that um and I visualize that but I kind of never really visualize the end bit because I don't know maybe I I don't feel confident enough to visualize that bit or I just don't want to tempt fate or I don't know what it is but I kind of get to it and I'm like right so you get the bike off the bike shoes and a helmet in the box okay you run out that's a lap right fine and finished I probably only ever visualize one lap of the run if I'm being honest um so yeah no don't think I've ever really visualized winning winning races interesting does your the with their confidence I just think it's such a fascinating thing do you feel more confident this year as an athlete I don't feel more confident. I wouldn't say I was an over overly confident person in terms of running and ability. I'm always a, like, what if it goes wrong? What if this happens? What if I can't do that or don't do that? So like I've tried really hard with like sports psychology and stuff to kind of turn that around to be like, you know, not what if it goes wrong, but what if it goes right sort of thing. Um, and it kind of showed when we were on the pontoon in Yokohama and I was there stood with Luke Watson. He was out on the thing and I was like, He's like, what side are you going to go? You're ranked number one. Where, like, what are we doing? Because I was like, I need to know by the end of this recce where I'm standing, where I'm starting. I need to be able to visualize this. And he was saying like this side or that side and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, but if, but if I start that side and I don't have a good start and I get caught up and then, you know, like I could get, you know, what if this happens around the first boy and whatever and didn't say anything else to me. And I dived in, did one lap, got out. And he said to me, he went, but what if it went right? 
And I was just like, what do you mean? He goes, you literally stood on the pontoon and said to me, oh, well, maybe I should start this side because if I get caught up, I want to be on the outside and blah, 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 blah. He went, but what if you don't? What if you just have a good start? And what if you just get out well to 100? And what if you're one of the first of the first boy? Then what side do you want to go on? I thought, well, obviously the inside. And then he looked at me and was just kind of like, don't don't doubt yourself. Like, be confident. Choose a de- Choose the decision based on what if it goes right, not what if it goes wrong. And it's probably the first time that someone said to me, like, on the ground at, you know, the day before a race, like, what if it goes right? Make a decision based on it going right. And, like, a lot of that has taken, yeah, it's taken a lot of, like, psychology stuff and, like, just talking and confidence stuff to back myself. So I definitely still am a bit of a doubter but I I feel more confident in my ability you know I've done some good blocks and some good sessions and I think from that I've drawn confidence but I definitely don't stand on the start line and think yeah super confident I'm gonna smash this and get on the podium I'm definitely not like that. Have have nerves changed at all Sophie do you almost feel like is, is there any more kind of nerves because of this year like what what is actually at stake? um for like Yokohama it was the first time in a long time I've actually just been excited to race I think because I knew I knew I was in good shape and I knew that Abu Dhabi went better than I expected I was really excited just to race and I still got the nerves like 48 hours before a race I think why do I do this I'm not so sure I enjoy triathlon anymore so I still get that feeling of like the dread but the overriding feeling from two three weeks out was like do you know what I'm actually really excited to race and, I, you know, I'm still having that feeling for Montreal and I'm hoping I have that feeling for the test event. And I know that there's a lot riding on the test event and maybe, you know, the nerves will override it. But definitely for your standard World Series without Olympic selection tagged on, I feel like the override, like, overriding feeling is more of an excitement rather than like, a, holy shit, I've got a son on the line with the best in the world and I've got a race and I really hope it goes well because I really want it to go well. So, yeah, I definitely that's definitely changed this year and hopefully it's the same for the test event but I know I'll be super nervous (laughs) it's such a different feeling though isn't it if you're going into something thinking like oh I feel excited yeah and like part of that is just the confidence I've probably taken from training you know like touch wood I've had a super consistent block I've done some really good work I've done some stuff in the chamber we had a really good heat block out in Australia so it's been like Lots of things that I've just like ticked off. Like nothing's been exceptional. I've not started training 45 hours a week or anything ridiculous like that. It's just been like consistently tick, tick, tick. And I think from that, you just kind of think you can't have done that work and then go and race and it like not reflect that. And I know there will be times where I don't race as well as I want to or should do or however you want to phrase it. But like, I know that I'm training better than I've trained before. So why shouldn't that correlate to a better performance? And I think that's just a nice place to be in when you're just, you kind of feel just like at peace with what you've done and, and with the racing rather than wishing you'd done more or wishing that something else had gone better or, or things like that, basically. And with having had the same coach, Adam, for what, like 15 kind of years yeah. or something? Like how as I mean together because I guess there's like a lot of co- collaboration going on there how do you almost keep on make it, making it interesting I think we've had yeah like obviously we worked together a long time um and it's funny actually like my 
I talk about this time scale of like how I've gone from a, you know, like an eight year old child to, you know, winning a world series. And from when Adam stepped in, we've had a really similar path of progression. So like when he started coaching in Loughborough, he was just like an apprentice coach was kind of like shadowing Mark Pierce, like had basically just come across from working in the British Strathlon offices and like had a bit of, you know, interesting coaching and sport and stuff. So it wasn't like, he started coaching me as, you know, British Strathlon head coach of Loughborough, you know, one of the senior members of staff. Like, it wasn't like that at all. So we've definitely both had this, like, journey of progression, so to speak. So I think from that, like, we've learned a lot. And, like, he probably knows – well, he does. He probably knows me better than I know myself. And it's funny, actually, I was in the car with my brother yesterday and he rang and we were talking about training and, like, over the next couple of days and did we want to take the easy days now? Did we want to do it over the weekend? Like, blah, blah, blah. And we're just like chatting and stuff. And he put the phone down and my brother was like, that's so weird how well he knows you. Like how well he can think of things before you've said them or like he knows how you're feeling. I was like, I literally see him once, if not twice a day. And I've done that for 15 years. Like it's probably quite unique that I've had. There's probably not many other athletes that have had the same coach in the same location for that amount of time. But I think I've just got the balance I've got the triathlon life balance really good at like the last couple of years. Um, we also have like other members of staff that join into conversations around training and stuff. So it's not just, you know, Adam writing the same thing, you know, we draw on like sports, psycho- uh, sports physiology and Luke Watson has a bit of input onto my bike program and stuff like that. So it's always like changing and evolving and as other people's input comes into it as well. So yeah, on the whole, it's kind of like a, everyone puts some stuff into the pot and then we just uh, make it up as we go along. (laughs) And you, right, with um, somewhere like Loughborough, I guess you obviously have like a core of people, right, who are based there and have like always been there. But then you'd probably have some people who've been there previously, other new people are coming in and like Cat Matthews is now based in Loughborough, isn't she? Does that, again, you've got a few more different people to train with. Does that keep it interesting as well? Yeah, like, you know, like you say with Kat, like I've started riding with Kat over the last few weeks and like that's been really nice to somebody different from, feels like a different sport, you know, the difference <laughs> between, you know, long course and, and you know, the shorter stuff. And yeah, Kat's, Kat's been great and it just opens the door to other opportunities of training groups and training, training people. And sometimes it is difficult, you know, when you train out of a university, by definition, the group you train with gets younger every year. So when I started and I was dropping into the session, I was 14, 15. I was, you know, I was the youngest one by, you know, four, five, six years, whatever. And every year it's kind of, oh, oh, and now the balance has tipped. And now I'm 10 years older than the new recruits that come in every year. So sometimes that's a challenge because I, you know, with that, do less and less with the group. You know, I, I swim with the group, but I don't really do bike sessions with the group my run sessions are a bit split and are kind of on a different program and stuff. But I'm very fortunate that I have Tom and I do a lot with Tom when he's here. Um, and like slowly, like Liv is an example, like she's like kind of a bit of a halfway house. So she's sort of like still doing bits with the group. And then sometimes she'll come and do a bits with me where, where that fits. So yeah, I think having other external people that are like drawn, drawn up to Loughborough and to train with just open the doors especially when they're, you know, my age, a bit older, whatever, it kind of just allows that, again, that balance to to be optimised is what how I would say. Oh, like it. I was, uh, I was actually, uh, I found uh, your blog, right, from, 
yeah years ago <laughs> but it was interesting reading reading through it because you were like writing from say 2013 I think yeah and even just some of the names of people that you were racing against at that point so you mentioned like Katie Hewson, Emma Pallant, Lucy Gossage and you look at these people and you're like look at where they are now and look at where you are it's it's mad yeah and then when you like look back at old race results and see kind of where everyone where everyone is now I yeah yeah because all those people you know people that you look up to and and things like that so sometimes it's I don't know it's weird to think now that younger people write about me like that it's quite weird to think that and you know like there's a couple of younger you know girls on the squad and they're like oh can I talk to you about this or whatever and I think you want to talk to me like I don't really know anything do you know what I mean and then I think you know when I joined it was you know Lucy Hall was that person or you know Vicky Holland was that person and it's weird to think that like now I'm kind of that kind of person for somebody else so I feel like yeah probably a bit of imposter syndrome kicking in now didn't didn't Vicky message you something about Yokohama yeah she um it was like obviously people messaged me for to say good luck and stuff like that but Vicky's message was one that I kind of read and it really like sunk in and was one that I will will re- like obviously people wish you go like but it was one that I will remember for a long time because I was basically saying like I put up Instagram post out saying that I was wearing number one and I was basically shit scared of wearing this number because people look at you and think you know expect a certain like level when you put the number one and I hadn't raced it before and I was going to be out on the pontoon on my own and I kind of said that I was like nervous to wear this number and she messaged me and she was basically saying like you know don't be nervous like for one reason or another, you have deserved that number and like you've earned that number. You've not just like got lucky and like stole it from someone else. You've earned that number, wear it and also like appreciate it and enjoy wearing it. She said, there's not many times that you'll wear that in a World Series. And she said that when she wore it, she probably didn't appreciate it as much as she should have. And it was just like, wear it with pride, put your bike in that number one rack, walk out on the pontoon first and just, absorb the fact that you you've had the opportunity to wear that so I was kind of think like when I in the morning of the race I kind of put the number on I was like you might not get this opportunity again like enjoy being it like enjoy being at the front and enjoy and just enjoy it and I think it just like made it sink in that I shouldn't be like oh shit I'm wearing number one it was like nah do you know what I actually earned this number and I'm going to enjoy wearing this number yeah so yeah, it's taken me 20 years to get this number. I'm actually going to enjoy this for the next two hours. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was just a night. It was just a message that I will just remember for for a while. Since we spoke last time, you and Tom Evans um, got married. Um, congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and oh god, he he's been through the blooming mill with injury as well. But I guess how has he helped you Sophie over the last few years I hope he doesn't listen to this because I do actually owe him quite a lot I know I owe him a lot to be honest um I think one of the main reasons why I've managed to make the progressions that I've made are probably due to him um partly from a happy in my life situation of like we're super settled you know he relocated up from Sussex to move up here with me we've got the dogs I've got my chickens got the tortoise our life is just very 
not easy like easy but it's just a super easy life to live like with just a happy life so I think like that's probably half of it that I have a stress-free life from that point of view and then I think the other half is just the conscious effort that he puts in to making my training week easier and because obviously he we do different sports we're not on the same schedules as each other so for example like with recovery and food and stuff like I'll come back from swimming and I will literally walk in the door and the porridge will be ready like things like that I'll come back in from bike rides and he's made lunch like I don't have to think about going to the shops to get food for dinner he's already planned it because he loves planning it and I hate planning it and I hate cooking this is what fantastic this is the only reason why we actually got married is because I hate (laughs) cooking um so yeah so he'll like plan it out he's on the shop like food's cooked for seven o'clock and it's there and it's like all those like tiny one percenters just add up in the week and then you throw on top of the fact that he actually does sessions with me so he normally does Tuesday track with me sometimes he does Friday run sessions with me and he'll probably ride once if not twice a week with me as well like all those things just add up and I think the accumulation of a happy stress-free easy life the help around food and recovery and the timing of stuff or dropping me off or point to point rides up to the peak district and then he drives us back or whatever it might be like all those things I think just add up um and I wish I could say I've probably had the same influence on his career but I can't say that I have he's definitely positively impacted my career more than the other way around nah nah because he'll also be a happy happy person true and he does say when I'm not here all he can be bothered to make is an omelette so really I've actually helped him have a better nutrition life as well so yeah we'll just take that one take it now Sophie when um I was doing a little bit of research right and I did you know I do tend to do a bit of research for these things (laughs) there's there isn't actually loads um there aren't loads of podcasts with you that's one thing so I'm taking that as a thank you for doing doing this um one thing that I did come across right was the Sophie Cliff podcast now who knows who Sophie Cliff is but I thought some of her titles were interesting so I thought let's see if this (laughs) works right so episode 220 she called let's have a big catch-up well you and I are doing that right now yeah episode 206 some things I've learned in 2022 take it away Sophie what did you learn in 2022 what did I learn in 2022 god well I think the biggest learning for me in 2022 was probably around the Commonwealth Games I felt like I'd put everything into trying to get a podium as an individual and obviously didn't um and I, I found that really hard that I'd put like I put so much into it and it didn't pay off and like really struggled after that and I was kind of before Commonwealth Games I was like yeah it's all gonna be about that and then the World Series and yeah like that's what I'm doing this year and then kind of came out the back of Commonwealth Games and I was like oh fuck that I'm just gonna go and race Super League now like I don't want to I'm not doing I don't like just not really that fussed about ITU stuff anymore and if it doesn't go to plan it doesn't go to plan so I think like that whole period of like putting stuff on the line and I suppose I used the similar thing as like putting stuff on the line try and qualify for the games that like you can put everything into it and it might still not happen but kind of that's okay and we still came out with a gold medal in the relay and it wasn't a complete 
shitter of a weekend. It was just not quite what I'd wanted. And actually, when we finally went through the race, which took about six weeks, because I refused to talk about it with Adam, when we finally went through the race, he was like, there was nothing that was catastrophic. Like, it wasn't like you had a complete shocker. There was just a few things that just didn't quite go your way or timing of things and stuff like that. He was like, it doesn't make you any worse of an athlete. Like, people don't think any less of you or, you know, whatever like that. And I think it, like, that was just a bit like, the biggest learning from 22 was around that and coming out of it and resetting and refocusing and yeah, taking some of those learnings into if I do or don't qualify for, for the games next year. And somewhere finding all that energy to kind of go, right, come on, 2023, let, you know, let's hit it kind of <laughs> We're thing. <back> again. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Right. Episode one, uh, nine, two, we're going to do two more of these, right? Episode one, nine, two was how do you want to feel by the end of the year? Whew. Um, how do I want to feel? I'd like to feel that I'd committed to the tasks in hand. And whether that means that I've accomplished the tasks is kind of irrelevant, but I want to get to the end of the year and whether I've done what I wanted to have done or not done what I've wanted to have done, if I can sit there and be like, do you know what? I bloody put everything on the line for those things. I really tried to get on the overall podium for the series. I really tried to get that Olympic selection. I sacrificed X, Y, and Z. I did a million laps on my own around the Leicester bike circuit. I went to every open water swim and committed to getting hit around the head by the boys. Like if I can get to the end of the year and be like, I genuinely don't think I could have done any more, then I'll be happy. I might not be happy, but I'll be satisfied and can accept the good or the bad that comes with that. Which leads on to um, the last one, which you might think this is, I don't know, you could say as a as an elite sports person, maybe it, it's different. It just is episode 173, the power of enough. Do you think that's a mm. thing? Do you think? I definitely think the power of like, you you feel like you've done, not done enough in that you're like, well yeah I suppose like I couldn't have done any more like whether I win or lose a race like if you can finish and be like what more could you have done did you swim to your ability did you commit from the gun did you run through transition as hard as possible did you try and do everything you could on the bike did you take your gels did you do all these things if the end of that you're like yeah it's like you've you've done enough like there's only so much you can do and I think I got asked by a friend this week like oh what do you reckon you'll do after Paris like do you reckon you know have a family carry on retire like what do you think you'll do and I was like I honestly don't know and I think part of that is the feeling of like have I done enough and I don't know whether that's going to be you know if I make Paris have an okay race like will I finish and think do you know what I've ticked that massive box I've had of becoming an Olympian and I personally feel like I have now done enough I don't know like am I going to want to keep going until I try and win a medal? I don't know. Like if I try and get to Paris, I don't make it. Am I going to sit there and go like, Oh, do you know what? Actually I've had enough. And I, and I suppose like a lot of that, like I don't know, but I definitely think there's a lot in feeling like you have tried enough. So it's a good philosophical one that, isn't it? Yeah. Good. Like it. Made me think. <laughs> Uh, you'll be pleased to know we've uh, I've done with Sophie Cliffs. Uh, that was podcast. all of our podcasts. 
that, well, I mean, she's got she's got 200 on. I'm not going to go through all 200. But I was like, oh, they've got very interesting titles. Um, So away from Sophie Cliff, Sophie Coldwell, how, how are the chickens? Good. They're, uh, they're free and roaming around the garden now as we speak. So, yeah, very happy. Dust bathing in every flower bed possible. So creating carnage is what it is. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's sort of like life away from triathlon, lots of dog walks and... Yeah, lots of dog walks. They've just actually had their hair cut. So they had their hair cut, picked them up and then went for lunch with Liv. So they've had a very tiring day. Um, but yeah, outside of triathlon, bits and bobs, nothing too strenuous. You know, don't want to detract from the task in hand. But yeah, keeping a nice balance. And do you have lots of friends who are like, you know, normal uni? I say normal. Uni friends who are not elite sports people. Yeah, I mean... I feel like all my friends we've connected through sport at some point you know whether that's friends from uni like we all lived in a sport block and at one point or another they were very high in the sport they do whether or not they do that now or that's kind of like a common theme with all my friendships and I've just got friends from school who who were never in sport um but apart from like the school friends you have from when you're like six years old I'd say the common thread of all my friendships now are somewhat linked linked through sport at some point or another and they and they completely get it that's the thing don't they yeah and yeah like one of my best friends she's in in the navy and husband's in the army and they live in devon and you know they're kind of like here there and everywhere and met with her on literally on tuesday because we were only an hour and a half away so we drove halfway met and she said oh i really wish we could see each other more but you know you're busy i'm busy and i was like at least we both know that we're both I say equally crap as each other, but like, <laughs> eat, like life is what it is. And I think when you've either been in that situation or you understand it, it makes it so much easier that she doesn't sit there and go, oh, it's really annoying that you don't come and see me more. Like, it'd be great if you could actually come down and see us in Devon or whatever. She like, she understands it. And we both get that we take what we can. And if that means we don't see each other for a few months, like that's what it means. But yeah, it'd obviously be nice to have eight days in the week and unfortunately we don't eight days and 48 hours and do would you say sophie is that one of do you think one of the like just not the hardest things because really in the grand scheme of life it's not that hard but just one of the downsides maybe of being a professional sports person is just all of the travel like obviously there's the upside to that as well but you know what i mean i think the thing that's the hard hardest and i like to say it's not that hard i'm not saving lives or anything like that I think one of the hardest things about being a professional athlete is it's 365 days. And even when you have easy days, rest days, time off or whatever, it's not, oh, great, you've got a day off. Let's go and do all these fun things. You're like, yeah, I've got a day off, but I actually actually need to recover in that day because the training block starts again tomorrow and I'm really tired and I actually just need to sit on my ass and do nothing. And I think sometimes, sometimes people get it, sometimes people don't get it, that you're just like, I know it only seems like one run or one ride or like one weekend, but it's actually quite a lot. And yeah, like I was chatting with, we had like a catch up meeting with like members of staff and stuff kind of all the way through to Paris. And it was like, right, is there anything outside of triathlon that you've got from now until the test event that we need to factor in, blah, blah. blah. And I was like, oh, it's one thing, one thing from now until then. And that is 7th of July or 9th of July. I got Silverstone tickets to go with my brother 
and it was like oh not great timing oh we just need to factor in oh okay we can probably move yet and I was like it's one day like it's just one thing and even like one day is like not the easiest thing to just be like oh yeah it's fine it's one day it's fine you know like this is being factored in like eight weeks before it actually happens so I think that's the hardest bit to just have stuff outside of triathlon which is why with Tom we try and factor the life in triathlon where we can for example like on a Thursday it's just like our mountain bike day so we mountain bike and we'll always stop for like lunch or coffee or cake or whatever so it doesn't seem like you're training you're just like yeah we're gonna go do this stop at a nice cafe and then we'll just ride back so we just try and like factor those bits in or if he's up running around the peaks and I'll do a point to point ride you know ride up to the peaks then we'll have lunch and spend a couple of hours in the peak strip before driving home so it's just like trying to be smart where you put those bits in Sophie thank you so so much happy open water swimming this afternoon and um yeah everything is crossed for you um heading into Paris thank you very much thank you thanks for listening to the inside try show if you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at inside try show Oh, so many people have been in touch. So pro triathlete Lydia Dant has been in touch and asked me to tell you about the Passion Fit Coaching and Train Exhale Scholarship. So it's funded by Lydia from using her end of year bonus from the PTO. And it's an opportunity to support an up and coming elite athlete. So check out Lydia's Instagram or Passion Fit for all of the details. Kath has been doing Move Charity Swimming, i.e. donning the Move Charity Swim Caps. If you don't have one, by the way, they are amazing. All money goes to Move Charity. You can get them in bright pink and bright green. They are great quality. And she's been sailing as well. Rich, that's my Rich, by the way, replied to my tweet to fill me in. Um, So he clearly wants you to know that he did swim run Flamberis. He probably also wants you to know that he beat my time from last year by nearly 10 minutes. But he never, ever listens to the podcast, so he's not going to hear this. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, we are actually joining forces, he and I, for a pair event in Abu Dhabi in September. So I am very much looking forward to that. It seems like I need to up my swim game. Maybe I just need to get bigger paddles. I don't know. I bought him some chunky paddles for, um, I think his birthday, like really dinner plate style paddles. I just have fingertip ones and I am deaf. I'm totally ditching the pool boy because I I can't swim with a pool boy. My kick is just too strong. And then the pool boy means I can't kick. Anyway, Simon, you said... I did a very slow homemade try in Angle after the Wildflower Triathlon got cancelled. Me and one other did a 1k swim in West Angle Bay, a 40k cycle out on the Ironman Wales Freshwater West Loop. That's a mouthful, isn't it? And then a steady 6k jog on the coast path. Then cake, all the cake. Uh, Jessica also had cake. Um, Jessica said, I bonked on a very hot bike around the flatlands of York, vanilla fudge, and then pancakes with peaches and raspberries saved the day. (laughs) I love the cake news. David, congratulations on your comrades marathon, by the way. You said, I listened to the Jasmine Paris episode on my dog walk. Wow, isn't Jasmine just a lovely person? I always learn something. Nutrition, always solid, but of a really bad place. Try the emergency gel. I needed that advice at comrades. And Katie, you said, what? a woman. Amanda, 
you actually commented on the Damien Hall thing and you said, I loved hearing how this legend's brain ticks. A great interview, Helen. I often ponder whether getting angrier for things would help as well. Felicity, you said I had a bit of a shock to the system this weekend and did an actual triathlon. It turns out ultra running training doesn't help you on a sprint plus very much. But it was fun and we got to meet Louise Minchin afterwards and buy her book. Felicity, if you want a whole weekend with Louise Minchin, sign up to the Yorkshire Three Peaks Challenge, all in aid of Move Charity, September the 16th. Heard it here first. I'm clearly going to be at The Rock, aren't I? So I can't do that. But there'll be Lucy Gossage is going to be there. There'll be a whole host of amazing people. Whole host of them. Channel Swimmer Sophie. Katie O'Connor. Yeah, loads of people. It'll be great. Mary, huge congratulations to you. You said, Helen, I won my age group at 70.3 Warsaw this last weekend and I'm going to go to the World Championships this year. And I got to meet Lucy Buckingham, who had a brilliant race. I can't wait. So yeah, Mary, well done. Simon Bowen, you said I did Slateman Legend, stunning and brutal in equal measures. And Simon, thank you, because you also posted up a really, really cool photo. I'm assuming it's your daughter, And um, yeah, so you are there. And I just thought when I saw that, how inspiring for her. So yeah, huge well done. Llongavarchiadau as well to Nia, who was also doing the Slateman legend, because Nia, teen legend, obviously. David, you said, I did the world famous Bladen race for the first time in five years. I'd forgotten how brilliant the atmosphere is. I've definitely got the bug to start racing regularly again. Yes, David, love this. And isn't that the Bladen race? I'm sure um, my mind has temporarily gone very, very blank. Ali Dixon, I'm sure Ali Dixon mentioned that race a couple of times. Mick, you did an open water swim in Grimsby Docks and Park Run and a 90k heli ride with a sore hamstring. Sort out that hamstring. Mick, get it sorted, all right? Or else it's going to get worse. And then Lou, you said, uh, we did Chumley Castle mixed relay, no, mixed team relays with Nuts for Tri Club, fun with a capital F. I have no doubt about it. I did it the first year that Nuts for Tri Club went and totally dominated with the uh, fun with a capital F. So I imagine it's just got bigger and better and uh, is stupid amounts of fun. As for me, I've been sorting kit for all things Pan-Celtic. So it's just gone midday and I've spent the last hour, I'd say, trying to pack my bike because I'm going to go on a little adventure as a full kit test for the Pan-Celtic race. So I started packing on Thursday night. It's now Saturday. Just put my mug of tea down. So I'm going to talk you through what is currently on my bike. So I am going to start at the top. So I've got some aero bars attached to the aero bars. I've got a Garmin. Rich also made some sort of bridge out of DIY things between the aero bars. So then I can attach a front light because the issue is hanging off my handlebars. I have this so that is a topeak i don't know eight liter dry bag thing and it's basically got my sleeping bag in it i had tried to put more in it but then the issue was the bag was getting too wide my handlebars there's not enough or there, there wouldn't have been enough space for it and um i couldn't change gear 
<laughs> so I've only gone for my sleeping bag there and then I can actually break. I'm not yet sure if I can really get my hands on the drops. I don't think I can, but this is why I'm doing this today. I'm going to go and test it out. So then I've got my pads, my arm rests hanging off at the top of the um yeah just by my handlebars I've got one of the climber bags which I've spoken about before we're calling it a climber bag obviously not a climber bag but it looks like a climber's chalk bag and in there I currently have uh, an OT flapjack a cereal bar a Mars bar a sachet of peanut butter thank you very much Kath I've got some sun cream in there I've got some extra sun cream in there and because I'm having a bit of an adventure and uh, I'll see, I've actually put a couple of porridge sachets and I've got my pump. Then on the top of my top tube, I have a waterproof Topeak bag. And in there I have a power pack, a phone charger. And I think I think that's about it in there, to be honest. Under my uh, top tube, I have an Apidura bag. And in there, it's got two sides, so you can open it on both sides. One side, I'm trying to go really minimalist, um, and I've actually, I mean, I'm cycle touring in England, but I've put my passport in, because uh, I figured I'm going to need that for the race. So I've got my passport. Um, I've also got a toothbrush and toothpaste with really easy access, um, and a spork. So if I need to eat, I've always got easy access. On the other side for today... I've just taken, normally I have a saddle uh, saddle bag thing for uh, like puncture repair kit and I've literally plonked it in the front of this frame bag because um, in the morning I'm going to need to whip off the thing on the back and put that on. So I've just kept it all in there, easy access. And then I've got things like my toiletries in there, um, more sun cream, like hand sanitizer, uh, a few other bits and bats did I mention chamois cream that's in there too very important right I at the moment I only am able to fit one 600 ml bottle beneath that frame bag so um I have two bottle cages but one of them is currently completely empty so that is dead space so what I'm intending to do is get some side entry bottle cages so I should hopefully be able to carry two of those for today i'm actually going to carry a bladder uh, i've got like a trail running waist thing it's a hot day in the uk as i chat so yeah i i am no way am i just going with 600 mil of liquid so yeah we'll see how that goes actually i do drink a hell of a lot i'm always the one saying oh i just need to fill up my bottle so if the bladder is okay i might actually take it with me it's quite chunky but I'd prefer to have water than not. And then finally, I have my saddle. And then off the back of my saddle, I've got my Ortlieb bag. I've got a really big one. I think I'll be the only person doing this Pankeltic with the big one. I think it's 16 litres. I've used it previously when Rich and I have gone cycle touring. But I've never had to carry bivy bag, sleeping bag, all that kind of stuff. So I've only ever had this bag on the back. So in there currently, I have got a spare change of clothes, and I'm pretty sure some people would probably just go with one. Uh, I've got my, I've got a mozzie net in there. Um, I've got a, what else have I got in there? I have got a sleeping bag liner. I have got my bivy bag. 
Um, and that was Alfie. I've got flip-flops. I've got a couple of spare tubes. Um, and I think that is about me done. So I'm going to have some lunch. And then my plan is to ride down to Ludlow. So it's about 65 miles and then go from there. Well, I am sitting now in the square in Much Wenlock, home of the modern Olympic founder. Did you know that? Fact for you. It's half past five. I ended up leaving home just after half past one. My It's pretty hot. I've been on the go. I did run out of water just, so I was pleased to um, get here, definitely. I've just had a... No way. Weird bloke just went past. So I had to stop. Anyway, it might have looked like I was talking to someone in a really weird way. So I'm currently eating a cheese and onion um, pie. <laughs> I've had a bowl of porridge which said, it's fine, hot or cold. It wasn't cold, it was horrible. But it was a good lot of carbs, I guess. So I've got about 20 miles to go and it's going to be hilly to get to Ludlow but the bags have all been fine and I'm bizarrely excited about the prospect of bivying. What I don't know is if I'm going to go back to the spa just come out of and um, go and get a coffee and a coke. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm going to finish my pasty first and then psych myself up for the final 20 miles. Well, 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 well. I... Basically, I just, I, I, there's a lot to catch up on because I meant to hit record and then I didn't hit record. So the last thing you heard was that I was in the square, much Wenlock, eating food, and I would have had about 20 miles left. So just to bring you up to date with where I am right now, I'm in the car. It's the following day. It is about 20 past three. Rich is driving and we are going to fill in the gap. So... After I left Much Wenlock, I was about 10 minutes down the road and the heavens absolutely opened and thunder and lightning had been forecast. So it, I mean, it wasn't a major surprise, but I, I had thought I had looked very closely at the radar and thought, oh, I might just miss it. No, 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 no. So I tried to shelter under the non-existent roof, but then... The, the, this lovely couple saw me trying to shelter and they said, do you want to come in for a, for a cup of tea? And I was in the middle of nowhere. There was really not many options for sheltering from a storm. And I thought, why the devil not? So they gave me a towel so I could dry off a little bit, sat on the towel on the floor for a little bit, felt a bit awkward being in their lounge with their dog and me soaking wet and stayed they made me a cup of tea we stayed and chatted for an hour it was great then she said oh you know I can drop you off where you want to go if you want and I thought no I really should get back on my bike I really I should get back on my bike so I did get back on my bike I was still pretty wet and then the last hour and a bit I got still the heavens opened again and I got so wet so I arrived in Ludlow, my destination, R- R- Ludlow Rugby Club, at around about, just gone, I don't know, quarter past eight or something, phoned Rich, I think Rich was probably like, where have you been, where have you been? And uh, I was like, Rich, should I 
should I figure out where I'm sleeping or should I go get food? Go and get food, H. Don't worry about smelling. Okay. So phoned up a pizza place. I was like, can I order a pizza, please? I'll be there. Oh, I think you shut at nine. Can can I come and pick it up at like five to nine? So went and uh, got a very delicious pizza. Um, and then the dilemma, I went back to the rugby club and the intention was always to bivy. I want a bivy because... I wanted to test everything. I wanted to see if I could bivy on my own. I've never done it um, before doing the Pan-Celtic. So, again, I had asked Rich, what do you reckon? Because I was a bit scared. I don't know why I was scared to do it outside. So, I th- and I found a little bit of dark corridor within the rugby club. And I thought, bingo, that's where I'll be. No one's going to come through there because it was a, the door was locked from the other side. So I thought, that'll be fine. So I sort of, you know, set up my stuff and um, a guy just popped his head round at about ten past ten. He's like, oh, sorry. And um, I was like, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I, I probably shouldn't be here. Um, I, I know I should be bivying outside. And he said, well, if you're comfortable inside, just stay inside. Don't worry about it. And I had messaged a friend and I had said that I felt a wimp for not going outside. And she said, Helen you're really not a wimp you have just cycled miles on your own with all your own stuff that's not wimpy I'm like, oh all right and then another friend had just messaged me earlier and said how much because I said I'm gonna be bivying and she said oh I love I love bivying so both of those it made me think get your backside outside Helen what is the worst that can happen you can always come back in but honestly sort yourself out get outside so I probably went outside about quarter to 11 and um it was it was absolutely fine I had a mozzie net on because there were quite a few horrible things and it it really was okay I woke up a lot at like three at four at five um and finally woke up properly got out at about ten past six and that brings us on to this morning and Rich you were going to ask a question probably about ten minutes ago and I've just done a monologue you've just done a monologue um, so what have we done today, H? Well, well. So, this is where I think my day gets interesting because I got up and I thought, hmm, the sleeping bag on the outside, because of being in the bivy, was really wet. I was like, oh my God, is that because of me being too hot? And what are you meant to do then with a wet down sleeping bag? So thankfully, Rich was coming down with the car so I could put it in the car and I could, it didn't matter, I could just dry it out. But had I been bivying normally, I guess I'd just have to put away a wet sleeping bag. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, try and air it as best as possible, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so that was that. Put all my stuff away. And then because we were doing this sportive today, the Danny Mason Highland Challenge the people the organizers turned up first of all before the organizers turned up a guy called Mathieu Mati turned up with boxes of croissants which smelt amazing and there was no one else around he's like do you want these dropped here and I was thinking why it's not up to me but so then he and I had a chat which was great I um, practiced a tiny bit of French loving it he taught himself how to make croissants on YouTube you need to look him up these croissants are amazing Yes, so uh, they were so tasty. Matthew's Delice, I think, is the is what it is. So there we go. So uh, he and I were chatting. I was like, "Great, I'm not just practicing my kit, but I'm practicing a bit of French. This is awesome." And then the organisers rocked up, and I thought, "This is about half six, twenty to seven. I said, 
do you want a hand for 20 minutes? Because I'm really not doing anything. I was waiting for Rich. Do you mind? No, not at all. So I was getting out the, all the stuff for the teas and the coffees, filling up the urns, getting them on, moving all the croissants. Um, and the, the lady then, she was so grateful that she, she sneaked over to me afterwards and she said, I'll get you a second croissant. You were so you were so helpful. I'll get you a second one. I could have eaten two or three. In the <laughs> I, was like, I was like, bingo! So I repaid yesterday's kindness with kindness back and got a second croissant for my for my joys. So yes, then you turned up. We had done the registering, and then it, we faced a sixty-five mile sportive, basically, with three stops, with very good food. Very so good food. cake, and they had different sandwiches for the lunch one. Quite incredible chocolate biscuits really good chocolate biscuits but then I was really struggling to get into my easiest gear and this thing was not flat it really wasn't flat but why was this really annoying Gage because what you had done to your bike on Wednesday oh I had it serviced exactly so full service (laughs) full service (laughs) full service it, when it was a good service too I paid a lot of money for it it was service. really expensive so yeah so this was not good so I couldn't get into my smallest gear and I was really struggling there was one hill which was going up to 19% that was horrible and, and I couldn't be in my easiest gear for it I, and I had the back wheel the spin when <laughs> you're just like not going anywhere so the back wheel spins and I was like this is really hard work but I just, I kind of got my head down and I'm like, come on, Helen, you can get to the top. So that was fine. Then got, was it then, I don't know, going on a flatter bit or I don't know what. And Maybe I was like... about three miles from Knighton. Yeah, so probably with about 20 odd miles to go. And I was like, I, I, I cannot, I can't even change gear now. I, I cannot change gear. You were helping trying to figure it out and you're like, oh, no, H that you really can't change gear because your gear cable's properly snapped <laughs> I was like oh no and it wasn't any what, what gear do you think I was in when it snapped you're on 11 speed are you mm. yeah you're about yeah, on, on the smallest of your cogs smallest of your cassette so 11 out of 2 God. by 11 goodness me so then I was single speed I could not change gear and so then we decided to abort the route with about 20 miles to go because there was basically we could go then on the main road which was a lot flatter um and we had about 17 miles i think and anything above five or six percent oh i i couldn't get up actually i i only walked to the very end though didn't i no twice i walked twice i think i thought it was once now walked to the very end when we got back to Ludlow because there's a small hill and I had walked just before we aborted the route I had walked up that because I was like I can't get up here so yes my legs are now absolutely screwed Rich it was hard work I can imagine it didn't slow you down though oh, bloody hell it did it really didn't so yeah but it, it was great and my legs now are properly sore and the whole two days I feel so proud of myself for as pathetic as it sounds for actually doing it and leaving the home leaving the house yesterday saying bye Rich I'm off and doing it on my own that was comical watching you wobble off down the road (laughs) I actually took my bike out again this weekend 
So I've got it, got it fixed, all sorted, took it out this weekend with bags on, but I have concluded I am going to ditch the front Topeak roll bag thing because that was annoying me and it had started to um, rub on the wheel a little bit. And the reason I can ditch it is because I'm going to take an older, smaller sleeping bag. It's not as warm as my super flashy one, but it will fit into the big saddlebag. If I was doing this in winter, clearly I'd be taking my big, thick sleeping bag. But yeah, I am going to take this smaller one. So I think that is sorted. So I'm going to be the one with a massive, massive saddlebag. If you do want to track us, you can. There are links in the show notes. So as I head off into the wilderness for a couple of weeks, I'm going to be bringing you a couple of shorter episodes all about strength and conditioning. Thank you to James Langford and Matt Coyle from British Triathlon. But that is it for this week. You will find links to discounts with Form Swim and OTE Sports in the show notes over at InsideTriShow.com. Happy racing, happy training, get dot watching... If you do want to come and cheer us on, by the way, you are allowed to do that. You can't do much else, as in, you know, we can't stay at your house if we happen to pass you en route, but you can totally come and cheer us on. So it would be incredible if you want to do that. So maybe see you out there. Otherwise, we'll speak again on the other side. Podcast Network.